this is Jen, and you're listening to Paradox, a Mage the Ascension podcast. These bite-sized episodes are designed to get you up to speed and comfortable with Mage the Ascension rules and concepts. We read the books so you don't have to, though we do recommend it. Without further ado, welcome to Paradox. Hello, and welcome to Take 2 of Episode 5 here on Paradox. If you listened to the special bonus episode last time, or if you're on the Dorktales Discord server, you'll likely be aware that we attempted this recording previously, but the audio was unfortunately unusable, and we've decided to re-record instead of putting out subpar content. This of course means that since this episode is unscripted and is, by its nature, a discussion, it will be different than our original plan. However, I'm sure that we can manage a great episode for you nonetheless, since we both love chatting about magic and mage. So let's get to it. Hi, Kelly. Welcome back to Paradox. Hey, Jen. How's it going? I'm happy to be here. It's good. It's good. I'm glad we managed to get this in. Is there anything you want to say before we kind of dive right into it? Like, you know, pimp yourself. Pimp pimp myself. All right. Well, I'm back with a vengeance. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm Kelly Clark. I am a, uh, a writer, performer, and the host over at Dork Tales, which is a YouTube and Twitch channel and also podcast where uh, a bunch of friends in the mostly Pacific Northwest of Canada get together, play a lot of tabletop role-playing games, uh, including Mage the Ascension, Dungeons and Dragons, and a bunch of others. I strongly suggest you check it out because we're, we're pretty good, if I do say so myself. Also, Uh, On the writer front, I have a new book that is coming out to the Storyteller's Vault next week. On May 31st, I am a contributing author on Requiem for Rome 2nd Edition. So if you like Vampire the Requiem and you like Rome, uh, please buy it. Uh, I I did the fiction for that. I did a little like mini chronicle for you to play through, vaguely connected to the Year of Five Emperors. And it's honestly the most ambitious project that None More Dark Studios has ever done. So if you liked anything else that we put out, like our revised Requiem Clan books, you're going to just, you're going to lose it over this. It's going to be incredible. Amazing. I'm looking forward to potentially getting a chance to read that in my copious amounts of free time. (laughs) So much free time. So much. I mean, you read the fiction. This is true. This is true. You did. The fiction was good. Yeah, absolutely. Your fiction is always good, though. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I sweat and bleed over it. At least, I was going to say, your fiction is always good, at least by the time I get to read it, because I know that a lot of editing goes into it immediately. It's, yeah, I, I do the ADHD edit while I write, which makes mm-hmm. it usually pretty coherent by the end, but by the 12th draft, it's still pretty rough. But anyway, yeah, and look forward to potentially some mage content in the future, because I can't, I can't not poke that hornet's nest. <laughs> Uh, we're always up for mage content. Uh, speaking of mage and other things that Dorktales is doing, this episode will be coming out, provided my life doesn't implode again, the week before Onyx PathCon. Hey, that's great. Uh, Onyx PathCon is going to be a fantastic time. Dorktales is participating with that again, and uh, we are going to be running a Mage the Ascension game on the Sunday of Onyx PathCon. So if you want to see some uh, Lore of the Traditions era mage, like some 90s or 2000s, we're not sure exactly when we're setting it yet, but tune in. It's going to be on Sunday afternoon. Excellent. Looking forward to that as well. I get to play. Yay. Yeah, because you're in that game. I am in that game. Yeah, well, let's get to talking about mage and magic specifically, because that's what I wanted to focus this this uh, episode on. 
All right, so magic in Mage the Ascension is something that I have, I always see questions on it. I always see people being confused by how to think about magic and how to, you know, be creative in magic and beyond the mechanics. The mechanics is an entire episode on its own, Mm. but just the basic idea of how to think about magic in a world where magic exists when we aren't familiar with it. We don't know how magic works necessarily because we're playing this game where there's magic. Mm-hmm. And you're the one who's taught me everything I know about mage and and magic, the magic system in mage. So uh, there's no one I would prefer to talk about this with than you. Uh, absolutely. So I guess just starting off, like how to think about magic I mean, the really easy way that Mage the Ascension works is that it breaks down all of reality into nine spheres of magic. You have everything from uh, matter, which is the the sphere of material objects and, and non-living things, to life, which is, of course, the opposite, is all living matter, to even more esoteric ones like prime, which is kind of the, the sphere of reality, the, the sphere of quintessence of what makes reality function and what makes reality tangible. And it, it can be really difficult to figure out how to be creative with that. And I think that one of the problems that people come to with it is they try to overcomplicate things. They, they try to look for either scientific ways to explain things or they look for ways to combine as many spheres as possible. Or they think that because, uh, say that you want to, I don't know, you want to, you want to burn a stick. Mm-hmm. that because you want to burn a stick, you need matter because it's a stick. You know, you need forces and you need matter. You need forces to summon the fire and you need matter to to use it on the stick. And that's not the case. I mean, it could be the case. You could absolutely do it that way. But I think that people really tend to try to lump more spheres into effects than are needed. The other example that we've talked about in the past is like lighting a stick on fire, lighting a person on fire, Right. Yeah, you don't need life for that. I mean, it could help. If you're trying to start the fire like inside somebody's skin cells, sure, that's mm-hmm. you probably need life for that because you're you're breaking a life pattern to insert fire basically, right? Mm-hmm. But but if you're just affecting the fire around a person, you don't need the life sphere. It's their own personal problem if they're on fire. Yeah. Right? Fire fire makes its own problems, yeah. really. Like and one of the th- like I constantly whenever I would teach new players Mage of the Ascension there'd always be that one guy who got really scientific with it and they would always be playing a non-science character and <laughs> they would go aha well I have the sphere of life or the sphere of forces or matter I'm going to create an air bubble inside of his brain and give him an aneurysm mm-hmm. you know it would always be something like that right like a bubble in his bloodstream forgetting that they never read the rules and the rules are pretty strict on this that you can't violate something's pattern mm-hmm. right so you can't you can't do something on that minute of a level with with any good amount of control at character creation mm-hmm. maybe when you hit like life 4 right life 5 definitely you can do that type of stuff, but like in the basic entry level spheres, they break it down pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And it's like entry level spheres, like life. Uh, at life one, it's all about perceiving, like perceiving injury, perceiving life patterns, perceiving anything around you, or making really minute changes to yourself, your eye color, your hair color. With life one, you can do things like make super minor 
changes to your own body, like ones that you could do with diet and exercise. For example, you could cause yourself to lose weight. You could cause yourself to skip your period, mm -hmm. you know, you could give yourself minor birth control, things like that, like little, little minute, little adjustments. You could probably affect your insulin level, things like that. Mm. And life too, it is more like it's affecting changes in the immediate life patterns around you and yourself, healing injury. Uh, you can definitely do all of those things that I mentioned before uh, with life too as well. You can also um, do, you know, minor adjustments to very basic things around you. You could make grass grow because grass is much less complex than a human body. Life too, you can heal yourself like of minor stuff. You can. You absolutely can. I also allow in my games that if you get an extra success, you can do it on other people. Yeah. By affecting other targets. But to do it really easily, you need life three, which is the standard level that you can start doing it to other people. But I, I've i played since Revised, and I've done a lot of the Mind's Eye Theater LARP, and the, the rules are pretty, pretty blurry in those, so I've always allowed that. Yeah, I, and I will state for our listeners that um, both Kelly and I are very familiar with Mind's Eye Theater version of the rules, the revised version of the rules, and M20. And But M20 is the newest. And also we have house rules that we've used. And sometimes we forget which comes from where. So if, you've, if we say something that mechanically you determine is not possible based on whatever version you're using, we it's a house rule for us or something. I don't know. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right and so are we. Yeah. It's mage. Exactly. That's that's the gist of mage. <laughs> the thing is that it doesn't matter if you change the rules around the spheres at your table, so long as you're consistent. Yes. And because of that, you have to maintain that consistency because otherwise the entire system becomes, it just unravels completely mm -hmm. because it is such an interpretive system, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think that as far as creativity, encouraging creativity in your players should be your number one priority as a storyteller. And what I find in Mage the Ascension is that a lot of times players do freeze up. They they have all of these dots on their sheet. They don't know what they can do. They're in a situation where, I don't know, a hit mark is standing there with a chain gun in its arm going, I will defeat you, ba -da 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 -da, right? And they're just like, I don't know, man. I've got like entropy and I've got mind magic and I don't think either of these are going to work on this robot killing machine. This is where as a storyteller, you can step in and say, well, I mean, looking at what you have, you could do something like this. You could do something like this. You could do something like this. Give them a couple of options. Give them three, four options if you can. Mm -hmm. And then as if they pick one, they're like, oh, yeah, something like that would be good. You know, great. Then you lean on them and say, well, how do you do it? Like, what's, what's your foci? What's your paradigm? What's your belief system? Yeah. How does this yeah. work? Um, so, especially for new players, you should definitely be comfortable presenting them options and trying to guide them through things their character might do and get a sense of what their character would do. Jen, you're playing a character in our Victorian era game mm -hmm. that I, I probably wouldn't be able to be like, oh, well... Okay, you have a hit mark coming at you. Uh, you can throw fire at them, or maybe you can turn invisible and run away. I know which one you're likely not going to do. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you're you're, you're definitely going to throw the fire because Josephine is is nuts. I mean, it does depend on the situation. Sometimes it's smarter to run, but more often, no, she's going to throw fire because hashtag Team Arson. Well, exactly. More than ice, anyway. That's for sure. Yeah, more than ice for sure. I have a specialty in fire, in fact. <laughs> so I think that there's a lot of give and take with playing with players, of course, um, and helping guide them through the idea of belief system and through the idea of the way that the mechanics of the spheres work. Mm -hmm. 
And it can be a really good practice to basically just put the impetus on the players for half of that. And whichever half you have to put that emphasis on Mm -hmm. depends on the player. Some players are going to come to you and they're going to be like, cool, I'm going to set them on fire. And you're like, great, how do you do it? And they're like, uh, I have no idea. And you're like, okay, well, what about this or this or this or this? Yeah. You know, what if you pray to Odin? What if you pray to, uh, what if you pray, well, I mean, praying to Odin should get the job done or, or maybe, uh, you have a little bit of brimstone in your pocket and you do that, Mm -hmm. or maybe you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you threw some ideas out. I just picked Odin out of my butt right there. (laughs) So, um, I don't know how fiery Odin would be. Surtur would probably be a better one, but that. I doubt he returns phone calls. Mm, true facts. Now I want to have a mage with a spell called Ragnarok. Even experienced players like myself occasionally freeze up, especially if, you know, maybe I'm just having an off night or I can't visualize the scene that you've said and I don't know how to affect something to make what I want to happen happen, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when when you're considering things like trying to make your magic coincidental, which in the world of mage It's where the the title of this podcast comes from, Paradox. You have this kind of Mm -hmm. reality consensus that is the way the world is, and you want your magic to function within that world. And the more times you can make things coincidental, the better for you. You don't incur this paradox, and you don't get, you know, reality real mad at you and possibly Mm -hmm. erase you from existence. (laughs) Yeah, it's never good. But... Part of that is being creative in how you use your spheres of magic and how you affect the world around you. So, for instance, there's the Entropy Rote. I think we talked about this in the episode that wasn't, but the Entropy Rote, fuck off and die. Yeah, fuck off and die is just a great Entropy Rote. Uh, You use the forces of entropy. uh, So it's a mind and entropy effect. The mind is an empathic projection to to make someone want to get as far away from you as possible. So that's the fuck off. And then the and die is that you attach an entropy effect where something unfortunate happens to that person. Like they get hit by a bus. Or a piano falls on them. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But because specifically with entropy, entropy allows for you to bend the fates and stuff like that. So it it helps make things coincidental in certain situations, Mm -hmm. which is why it's like a bus hit them. Now, if you wanted a bus to hit them and you were in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean... And you're like... I was about to say the ocean, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, I want a bus to hit them, and you do whatever magic you need to do to, to summon a bus, basically. That reality's not going to like that. It's going to get real mad. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Right. You might as well summon a dragon at that point. It has as much business being in the ocean as a bus. Exactly. It'll cause exactly as much paradox as the, as the bus. But if you're, you know, in a city, and... The person you want to leave leaves and they happen to try and walk across a highway. Maybe they're distracted. They don't look and oh, there's a bus. Exactly. Yeah, look, he caught his bus. Welcome to Isekai Land. He's, uh, he's now the protagonist of an anime. A paradox is a really iffy thing. So folks, if you're running a game of mage, don't be daunted by paradox. Figure out how your paradox works. Okay? Because paradox is... It's a rather freeform system. There are a number of effects in the game that are really up in the air whether or not they would be coincidental. Like, Jen, if you're playing a character that is walking through, like, downtown, uh, I don't know, downtown Seattle, and you get shot. And, oh no, you've been shot, but you use a life effect and you go, oh, it was only a flesh wound, it only grazed me. Mm -hmm. You know, to remove the lethal damage, maybe make it bashing damage instead so that it heals faster. That's coincidental, right? 
But what about an effect that like is paradoxical? Like you scourge your pattern. So you convert a level of your health track into a point of quintessence, the, the mana of this world. I would say that that is paradoxical, right? Yeah. Or what happens if you do something that is coincidental, but later it becomes paradoxical. Mm, yeah. So I would I'd give a point of paradox for that after the fact. Yeah, my favorite one for, for that sort of thing is a lot of uh, time magic where you're looking through time. If you keep that to yourself and you don't like try to affect anything, it's coincidental. You just look through time. That's fine. Reality doesn't need to know. But the moment you work with that information or or express that information in real time to people and, and it starts to affect things, then reality goes, you shouldn't have seen that. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to paradox. <laughs> and you got to remember how, how, how coincidental it is. Back in the day, we used to use the metaphor that paradox was Joe Pesci with a baseball bat. <laughs> I love that metaphor. And he'd be like, oh, wise guy, eh? Just always waiting. Always waiting. He's always watching. But you, as the storyteller, are the arbiter of how closely Joe Pesci can watch you do the magic. So if you're doing something, like even time magic like that, like I could see a situation where you're like, oh yeah, I totally saw in the future he's going to walk through the door right now. If Joe Pesci sees him walk through the door immediately and goes, huh, mm -hmm. that was weird. That was a coincidence, I suppose. You know, maybe he doesn't take your knees this time. Yeah, but if you say he's going to walk through the door right now um, wearing a red shirt and a blue baseball cap, and whistling the tune to Batman, and he just comes through exactly doing that, maybe that's a little weirder than just weird. Yeah, maybe maybe he takes your knees then. So, so think about that. Um, I, I think that it can be really tempting for a storyteller to use paradox as a punishment. And to, to not only do it as a punishment, but a malicious punishment. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, uh, oh, I got you with paradox. Oh, I got... But no. Let the players dig their own graves. Mm -hmm. Like, let them know if something is going to cause paradox mm -hmm. and your table's going to run better. It's going to be because then the players, it, it's it's a gamble at that point where you're like, oh, oh I know what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm getting paradox. This is going to this is going to hurt me later. Yeah. Players love leaning into that. It's really true. And I will say that that's one thing that I maybe don't agree with M20 with. I don't agree with M20 on a lot is M20 seems to be like. Oh, at at the lower levels of your paradox going off, like you have a couple of points of paradox and say it goes off because you botched or, or something, right? Mm -hmm. It often converts directly to like bashing damage. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, and this might just be me. You can absolutely do that. Like I'm not going to judge any table where they're just like, okay, I don't know what to do for this three point paradox um, that just went off. So he gets three points of bashing damage. He has a headache and a, his nose is bleeding or whatever, right? Like mm -hmm. that's fine. Do what you got to do, especially in the moment. If rather than stall a table, do whatever you got to do. Yeah, I'll do that. But I am so much more a fan of the creative paradox backlashes, especially at the lower levels. My favorite one of all time was one that you gave me, Kelly, mm -hmm. which was for... I can't remember. I must have only had like correspondence three, but I can't even remember what I did. But the paradox that I got and when it, it went off was that for a while, everything I did was slightly to the left. Hmm. Like, like a couple inches. I can't remember that's how it was phrased, but it was just it was just slightly off. Yeah. You were just slightly cross-eyed. You just couldn't quite grab onto things. 
But if you, if you could, if you do damage at your table, I think you can have a lot of fun with damage if you have it come from ridiculous or mundane, mundanely damaging ways. Like mm-hmm. you know, you're like, oh, you step on a nail, or you you get clipped by the mirror of a passing car, and it's like all of these little coincidental damage sources where you're like, how the how am I this unlucky? Yeah, you're not unlucky. You just got paradox. Yeah, you know, and I do love that because reality is going to hurt you like reality to hurt you. It's really true, and it's not always super obvious that that it's gonna that it's coming from paradox. Sometimes it is. Sometimes sometimes you light an entire bar on fire because you get paradox. I yeah, I like that in Victorian Mage, paradox is a little more environmental. Yeah, in many ways. So it's it's less. Oh, I burn myself to death. Rather, I burn this city block. I I'm fine. I accidentally destroyed London, mm-hmm. but I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Consequences. Consequences. So yeah, we're talking about magic though. Like what what other magic stuff? What did, what did we talk about the first time we did this? We talked about a lot of things, but actually, you brought up the idea of paradigms. So let's go into that just a little bit, mostly because I do want to do an entire episode on paradigms and how to like make a paradigm and all of that. But let's talk briefly about what a paradigm is and um, specifically because M20 lays it out in such a structured way, Mm -hmm. more so than Revised ever did or Mind's Eye Theater. They were much more, here's here's what you are looking to do and uh, go be creative. (laughs) Make your paradigm. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely did more of just like a basic worldview for each tradition and then said just do whatever. Whereas now there's kind of like a worldview for each tradition, sort of, but then there's like all of these different tenets that could apply to multiple ones, which is interesting. Yeah. And I think most of the time they offer some options in the traditions and and the conventions. They're like, usually they fall under one of these like three, but for our listeners, paradigm is your worldview. It's your mage's worldview. And in M20, it's actually broadly described as focus and then you have like your paradigm and your instruments and how you do your magic kind of all wrapped up Mm -hmm. in that and in revised it was paradigm and you had your your foci uh, which are now called instruments and so there's some terminology changes there so we sometimes Mm -hmm. go back and forth but yeah one of the things we we talked about previously that in the episode that wasn't was how i had a hard time wrapping my brain around m20s paradigm system, mm-hmm. um, their focus system, because it felt regimented, which is the word that I was I was going to use instead of structured. It felt regimented and claustrophobic to me because it was like, hey, here are here's the list you are allowed to choose from. That is what it felt like. Yep. They gave you enough options that it limited your options. Exactly. It, it boxed in your brain. Yep. Yeah. Whereas Looking at it now, now that I've had time to digest and read and experience it a little bit more, I can see that it would potentially be a lot more helpful to newcomers to Mage, giving them ideas of what a paradigm, what a um, what a worldview, a belief system is, and how to kind of structure one. And there are options for combining them really, in M20. It's kind of like you can pick and choose Mm -hmm. from each of them. You don't have to stick to like, this is my one thing and this is all I can do, which it felt like in the beginning. I guess I could see that. Yeah. I I think that, so so describing paradigm for the audience, like like Jen was saying, it's your worldview. But I also think that if you're having trouble kind of figuring out what that means, 
Like each of the traditions has their own paradigm, each mage has their own paradigm, but it, it's easier to kind of generalize and say that each tradition has like a specific paradigm just because then it's a little more focused, right? Like, but you could also look at it as that that is your genre of magic, mm -hmm. right? So the paradigm of the Order of Hermes is hermetic wizardry, mm -hmm. right? So, but that also is the genre of, you know, wizard. Yeah. Whereas uh, the Akashiana or Akashic Brotherhood is a very Eastern philosophy, right? We're talking a lot of uh, martial arts. We're talking tea ceremony. We're talking Shinto or Buddhist beliefs a lot of the time. We're talking about all of that that type of stuff. So you could easily say that it's like, you know, the Kung Fu genre. You could say that it is the just Eastern philosophy genre. Like that is your type of magic user. And the, the reason the paradigm is important is, um, as I always explain, human beings are really bad at understanding that they are better than they are. <laughs> and when you awaken to a world where you can control the very fabric of reality, it is very difficult for you to believe that you do it without any external help. And in seeking a paradigm, you find a reason for why things happen. It's how humanity has always described the universe around them. Oh, well, thunder is actually, you know, God's fighting or that it is the, the sky is angry or who, who knows? We always look for a way to describe the world around us and the, the strange occurrences that happen to us. Rarely do we ever internalize them. And I think Mage is a game about eventually learning to believe in yourself and internalize these things and realize that you are an empowered being. But it's a long road. And ascend. And ascend. Bye, everybody. I went to therapy. Now I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, Mage is just therapy, which is why it's so cathartic to me. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's, that's paradigm. Mm -hmm. Like I said, revised, put the onus on the player. <laughs> To come yes. up with paradigm, M twenty provides some tools to do so. I I don't know about that actually because I think that it put the onus on the player. I suppose I think it just I don't know if it put the onus on the player so much as it just told the player like this is what you are right like your paradigm is what you are. You are a wizard. You believe in wizardry. But I I, I guess mm -hmm. I I would say that maybe M twenty tries to break down the philosophy a bit more a bit more into tenets. Or a bit more... Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I mean, but this is what Mage is about. Mage is a debate. Right? It absolutely is. We also touched very briefly on the idea of rotes. And yeah. in the episode that wasn't, I did like focusing on that for a little bit. Because M20 doesn't really do rotes. And for a lot of listeners, there's a good chance that M20 is the first time you've been exposed to Mage. Unlike Revised. Or maybe you hated Revised, like a lot of people do. Who knows? But... Revised used rotes to basically allow you to do rote actions. You practice these things enough times that you practice this mm -hmm. particular type of magic enough times that you could do it quickly and under stress and without really thinking about it. Yeah. And yeah, and M20 doesn't really have any mechanics for rotes. Mind's Eye Theater had more. It, you had to buy rotes and mm -hmm. uh, with XP and it had a whole bunch of stuff like that. Yep. Revised has some rules for it making the casting easier if you were doing rotes, I believe. Yeah, and so what, what a rote is, just to, to quickly summarize it for those who are, who are uninitiated, is they're your signature spells. They're your signature magical effects that if you had to say, like, oh, well, what are the ones that like you're really good at that are second nature to you? Those are your rotes. 
So, and they use the word rote instead of spell because not everybody has a spell. Like the, the Akashic that I was discussing before does not have a spell. You know, they have a kata, they have a technique, they have a, a hadouken. Had, the hadouken is not a spell, it's a super move. Like it's a power, yeah. it's an ability. You know, it's a technique passed down from your ancestors or from your master and your master's master. Yeah, whereas the hermetic, the hermetic has a spell. They cast their wizard. Yeah, and it's a spell if a, if a, if a verbena has it as well, but it might not be. It might be a prayer. And hey, if it's a prayer, then, you know, wouldn't a celestial chorus member have that? Or maybe they have a miracle. So road is just a nice, like, a- agnostic way of saying a spell. Yeah. And so for like in my game, what I do, um, since rotes aren't really a thing anymore, I have the players choose a number of rotes equal to their sphere dots, and they can be any any effect that they want to do. Uh, rotes are super specific in my mind. Uh, a shield that prevents kinetic energy would, would prevent bullets, obviously, but it would not prevent fire or heat, right? Because that's not what you're specialized. You're specialized in throwing fireballs and and dodging bullets. You're not specialized in throwing bullets and dodging fire. So um, what what I basically do for for mechanics with rotes is I just ignore concentration penalties mm-hmm. when you're using a rote, or I lessen them. Yeah. So normally you'd suffer a minus one to a minus three on concentration if you're like you know in a firefight. But damn, you just know how to summon a swarm of bats so well. <laughs> you do it every Sunday. It's you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's bat day. It's bat day. Oh, you do it on batter day. On batter day. Mm, true. Batter day is better. Batter day. See, I, I I don't find the puns. I know very often. But anyways, as a player, you might be thinking, you know, a oh, concentration penalty. It's not such a big deal. Like, what really is the benefit of roads? For me, it's something I can look at and go, oh, I know how my character does that magic, and I know very specifically a couple of things that my character could do in any Mm -hmm. given situation. It might not work precisely, but it might spark some ideas. Or at the very least, it reminds you, oh yeah, my my character always uses Latin when they use Prime. Yeah. Or always uses Enochian, if you're Hermetic specifically, with with Prime magic. So if I want to do this thing with Prime that isn't in my list of rotes, I can maybe bullshit some some Mm. latin or some enochian and i'm sure this is how she'd figure it out right Mm. like that's how you can kind of bullshit from there and the beauty of rotes is that you do the rote the exact same way every time Mm -hmm. if you have to mix it up like if you if you need sulfur to do it and you only have salt that's not the rote that's you're you're fast casting you're you're making it up on the fly you're trying to figure it out but like having that way that defined method is really good for character creation it's really good for for getting into your character's head Mm -hmm. absolutely there's nothing i love more and have so much trouble doing than creating (laughs) rotes um but uh for those of you who maybe aren't super confident with creating rotes or aren't really sure you know how you want to go about it. There are so many online. There are so many rotes online. It's true. You can figure out how your character would do that specific thing, but there are so many rotes that you can just take. <laughs> Literally just search Mage the Ascension rotes in any search engine, and it will take you to several very, very in-depth repositories. Yeah, absolutely. There are some great sites. So good. But like rotes, I, I find rotes are really easy. Like I have so many rotes for your technocracy game that are just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like they're just 
But I mean, that character is an ex NWO agent who with with a full like psychoactive drug <laughs> library. So it's it's pretty easy. So for spheres, though, yeah. I, I do want to say to everybody that we I, I mentioned earlier that a lot of times people try to find scientific ways to use their spheres, mm-hmm. and this is often when they're playing characters that are rather unscientific. Right. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Literally, mage is about magic. If you are like, especially, honestly, I think that people that play Society of Ether or some of the the more quasi-scientific belief systems, paradigms, have more trouble with this because they try to find things that are like believable. Mm-hmm to use their magic for you guys guys, you don't have to do that Mm -hmm. don't try to limit yourself to what is technologically possible what is logically possible if you want to make the air unbreathable in a room using matter you do not need to say i turn it into chlorine gas chlorine gas is a i mean you can Mm -hmm. you can that's it's weird it's weird and it's deadly don't do it (laughs) or do whatever i'm not a cop don't do it in real life either please (laughs) don't do it in real life don't turn don't turn the air into mustard gas but if you want to make the air unbreathable, you don't have to define what it turns into. You don't have to know the chemical com- composition of the air if that's not what your character would do. You can literally just make it unbreathable. You can. You, you don't have to play the technocracy's game. Mm-hmm. You can, but don't assume that your character has to have full knowledge of technology, of science, of, of natural physics, natural mm-hmm. sciences to do things. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's irrelevant to magic. Magic wins. Yeah. Oh, I'm fighting this person in this room. I would like to, I'm going to use your example, sort of, I'm going to pray to Odin and ask him to remove the air from the room. Yeah. Odin says, okay. <laughs> Sup, dog? Right. I'm going to take that eye. Right. Then the paradox takes your eye. But yeah, like, just don't get hung up on it, guys. Like, really, just just don't get hung up on it. Just have fun and... I know I went on at length about this in the episode that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. but that's the summary. Don't get hung up on it. And don't don't think, don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, since we're talking about spheres, I just had an idea. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the difficult spheres. Oh, boy. Yeah. So you've got your nine spheres, right? Mm-hmm. And the mythical 10th one and the dialect to 11th one, which doesn't really exist because it doesn't. It does. <laughs> it's the dork sphere. It is the dork sphere. We are the 11th sphere. That would have been a great name for a podcast, either that or the 10th Sphere. Like, that would have been a good name for a podcast. Oh, man. Yeah, that's true. Oh, well. I'm going to create a rival podcast, and I'm going to take you down. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. We're just going to go back and forth on this, yeah. Our spheres go to 11. Anyway. So, of those nine, you have time magic, which is fairly explainable, right? It it deals with time. It does the TikToks. Yeah. It's it's TikTok. Um, You lose... An hour every time you open the app. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you'll learn a cool dance that you'll never be able to do. Maybe if you're on that side of TikTok <laughs> or you're mm. on the terrible mental health side where you don't learn dances and instead just get told you have ADHD constantly. <laughs> yep. So you have time. You deal with time. Great. Mm-hmm. You have mind magic where you're dealing with mental patterns and minds and emotions and thoughts the astral realms yeah if you want to get esoterical about it at higher levels at higher levels you can astral project and stuff you've got life you're dealing with your you know life you're dealing with life patterns you're healing your or harming based on Mm -hmm. people you've got matter you're dealing with the material components of the world right the sphere of stuff Mm -hmm. yeah 
you've got your forces. Forces. Forces is universal forces. Yeah. The the trick with forces is understanding what constitutes a force. And I went over this actually in episode four, for those of you who have listened to it, where my favorite thing is using potential energy because potential energy is a force. It's true. It still counts as a force inside of the system. Yeah. Because it is a negation of an active an active force. Exactly. And you have your forces and you have your negations of those forces. So there's a lot you can do there. But it's a fairly, you know, standard idea. It's all sorts of forces. Gravity, mm. kinetic energy, fire, you know, ice, whatever. Yeah, totally. And from here, it gets a little more complicated. A little bit. You've got your correspondence or or data if you're into, you know, the technocratic ones or virtual adept because they can also use data, I think. Mm -hmm. It depends on your paradigm, really, and what you believe. But correspondence is about the connection points between or connections between points and people. Spatial relations about distances. Manipulating those those distances between points and stuff. And if you're looking at it from the data side of things, it's about having that data to manipulate those points and distances between points. You've got spirit, which is about the spirit world and very similar to the the Japanese idea of kami, where everything has a spirit, right? Yeah, but then it gets more complex because it also deals with like alternate realities and things like that. Yeah. So like if correspondence is the x-axis of reality, mm-hmm. I kind of picture that spirit is the y-axis where you can keep going down to sub-levels of reality and then time is the, the z-axis. Yeah, absolutely. Because they all function pretty similarly. It's it's They're weird. Yeah, so you get a little bit weirder with those, but still more or less they translate into things we're familiar with. Then you've got you've got your prime and you've got entropy. And these are the two I always find people struggle over. Yeah. They just do not grok. <laughs> yeah, so, so prime is the sphere of reality, right? It's the sphere of quintessence. It's the sphere of everything that is tangible and in existence anytime the it's it's ideas made manifest mm-hmm. right it's potential made manifest so if something does not presently exist you can funnel quintessential energy into it to make it exist anything from a living being to a rock to sunlight you can make it out of nothing using prime energy and because you can manipulate the fundamental elements of reality, reality is magic, magic is reality, right, in, in Mage of the Ascension. So it allows you to do things like create things out of nothing. It allows you to make things so real that they can damage stuff on multiple levels, thereby doing aggravated damage. You can channel quintessential energy to make magic easier. You can do human sacrifice to, to gain quintessential energy. Yeah, at higher levels, you can negate paradox. Yeah, it's expensive, but you can do it because you can make yeah. something, you can make reality kind of smoothed out. So Prime's pretty easy. You can use it to make like magical items by permanently imbuing magical effects mm-hmm. into things. Yeah. And then there's entropy. And then there's entropy. I don't think before I would have called entropy my favorite sphere and it has become my favorite sphere over the 20 years we've been playing. <laughs> Entropy is hard to describe. I I came up with a description of it and I love it Hmm. because it's so true. Because entropy in Ascension is different than anyone familiar with Awakening. Mm -hmm. It got split into like fate and death. Yep. Right? And that is basically entropy is you have this idea of fate and you have this idea of death, which some people feel don't really go together. But for me, entropy is the magic of chaos destruction and decay yeah in all of its forms it's the sphere of nihilism in many ways like it is 
Yeah. Is and if if prime is about creating things out of nothing, entropy is about returning them to yeah. you know the recycle bin of the universe. And it, I think it's really funny because I've always looked at that as well and saw that in Awakening they broke it into two spheres because in Mage of the Awakening in the Chronicles of Darkness there is no destiny for anything. It's a very mm-hmm. open-ended game, like it, it's all story seeds, it's very localized, but there is no meta plot. But in Mage the Ascension, if entropy is the sphere of destiny, all of the game lines in the world of darkness are about the end of the world. So if entropy is the sphere of destiny, it must also be the sphere of endings because there is always this push toward Gehenna, Ascension, the Apocalypse, Oblivion in all of the game lines, the Reckoning, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, so it is it is death. It is death. It's the death of everything. Yeah, and I, I got into a uh, conversation, a discussion with some people on the Discord server where somebody mentioned that with spirit, you can, you know, talk to spirits, see the spirit world and, and all of these. And there was like this not really understanding why entropy was the was the sphere of talking to ghosts, of dealing with ghosts, mm. as opposed to spirit, because ghosts and spirit seem similar. But with this idea of entropy being decay and and destiny and endings, it makes so much more sense that it's the sphere for ghosts. Yeah, you need to combine them. You need spirit and entropy, baby. You need to yeah. you need to mix those two together because ghosts ghosts. It's the sphere of spookiness. It is the sphere of spookiness. That is a hard sentence to say. <laughs> it really is. I'm kind of impressed. That I said it. I was proud of you. I was proud of you. Yeah. I had to slow it down. Yeah, I know. I know. But it is the, you know, it's the sphere of decay. And that's what, that's what ghosts are in the world of darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, they're. They're echoes. They're very Tim Burton-esque, corrupted, damned echoes. But yeah, so Entropy and Prime, they might be the hardest spheres for people to wrap their heads around. But there is so much encapsulated in both of them that I would consider them not not on a character by character basis but on a game meta plot basis prime and entropy are the two most important spheres yeah creation and destruction yeah not on not on your not on your character sheet but in the meta plot absolutely yeah. and uh, there's a fantastic little diagram that kind of explains the flow chart of the the spheres mm-hmm. um inside of inside of revised for sure i'm pretty sure they just copy pasted it into m20 because why wouldn't they it's a great little diagram probably yeah Probably. I don't know what page it's on, but it's basically just like everything starts prime and then it flows through the material pad or it throws through the... Does it go conceptual patterns? Then? Damn. It, it's a very interesting diagram, yeah. but check it out. It's good. I think we're pretty much good. We got through all of the topics I wanted to get through, but let's nice. end on like storyteller advice for running magic from a storyteller perspective and or um, just magic on a narrative level. How to incorporate it into your games so that... Mm-hmm. You know, people, you know, get that that feeling of magic. Okay, so some tips. When at all possible, remember that Paradox prefers to go after mages subtly rather than, than vulgarly itself. It likes to use reality against them rather than do some big tremendous effect, usually. Uh, or it makes the mage do their own troubles. Or it uses the mage's own violations to hurt themselves. If you are stumped for something, uh, like I said before, you should work with players to do their magical effects and to do their how they do their magical effects but if you're stumped if you're having an off night turn it to the table somebody else at the table might have a better idea if you have the option please research 
the things that your character might be into. If you are not a religious person and you are playing a member of the Celestial Chorus, go to Wikipedia, look up some tenets of whatever religion they follow. If you are playing a member of the Knights Templar, perhaps look up some holy prayers, some some paladin type stuff. If you're playing a character that is a member of the, um, the Shevra Kadisha, Pardon if I mispronounce that, but you're playing um, like a, a Jewish funerary mystic. You should probably understand some of the basic tenets and, you know, it wouldn't hurt to maybe know the basics of a couple of um, a couple of prayers. You might not have to learn Hebrew for them, but, you know, to understand the gist of what you're playing and to, to do a little bit of respect to it will help your role playing. It is so easy these days to find sources of inspiration for your mages. Mm -hmm. It is so easy. And I mean, even if you're playing something like the um, the Society of Ether, look up failed scientific theories of history. Mm -hmm. Right? There are so many. There's so many. There's so many. Do some research. Yeah, research for sure. And as a storyteller, I would say, you know, mechanics are important to try and bring that standardization to a lot of things but especially for me who who has a really hard time remembering all of the specifics and what's an m20 rule versus a revised rule versus a mind's eye mm -hmm. theater rule versus a house rule i have no idea mechanics second mm -hmm. you know don't don't just try and do the math and specifically figure out okay it's difficulty this and you're going to be you know you need like six successes to do it or all of that like first of all let the players do the math and tell you how many successes they want <laughs> yep. how many are they going for maybe encourage them maybe encourage them to like yeah. like you might want an extra one because you're doing this and this okay yeah exactly but don't take it all on yourself and don't just flat out say no to something if you can maybe suggest a better way of going about it or doing it mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to know more than your players in terms of mechanics and specifics on how things run, but work with your players to let them be cool and do awesome things and mm -hmm. hopefully not die. And if there is a rule that you're unsure of and you're not finding it really quickly and you don't want to take it, it is far more important to keep the flow of game going in my opinion than it is to remember a tiny persnickety rule absolutely i employ somebody in most of my games so particularly this is particularly good in very crunch based games uh, like dungeons and dragons more than mage mm -hmm. but if you have someone at the table who is really big into rules like i have somebody in uh jen you play in our Dragonlance game yep. that's on dork tales and in that game we my friend chris our friend chris is a real big like he he is very knowledgeable about rules he is very big into rules so whenever a rule comes up in that game and it is something that i can't figure out or i can't remember in about 10 seconds he makes a note so i, I make an arbitration i go okay for now we're going to do this mm -hmm. and then at the end of the game he has looked it up in his downtime mm -hmm. and after game tells me what the actual ruling in the book is and i can decide whether or not i like that rule mm -hmm. Or we're going to stick with my my house call for future instances. Because mm -hmm. you know what? It was way more important that a horse works this way than we follow the way a horse works in the book or something like that. Because right. I would rather be having fun with my friends than, than being beholden to any piece of paper. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, mage is the same with technocracy. I'll usually just be like, well, we're going to do this. And I'll correct myself um, the next game if I have to. 
right? Yeah, I mean, you're you're playing a game with your friends. You're not playing a game with the book, right? Like you're you're pl- the game is important and the the book is important, but the experience with your friends and your players who should be the same thing if you're lucky the experience is more important so don't stress too much and you know you're gonna make mistakes it's fine so i think i think that's all for us this time on paradox thank you listeners for joining us for this fantastic discussion and i always look forward to bringing kelly back on here when we can arrange it and when the situation for a longer more in-depth discussion calls for it and i'm always happy to be here anything you want to say before we head on out uh if you want to see some of these lessons in action you should definitely head over to twitch or youtube check out dork tales and watch jen either run or play and i guess me either run or play in our victorian era mage game or our technocracy game or our old uh, breaking tradition little little five plus shot that we did yeah or there's a couple of one shots we have as well there i think there's only one of those that i'm not in because i i was away that weekend yeah, you were away that weekend, and then everybody cross-dressed. It was great. Yeah, it was great. A lot of fake mustaches. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Technocracy is being released to the public now on roughly the same schedule that it was done on Patreon originally. So it's a couple months behind the Patreon episodes. Mm-hmm. But if you you know can't afford the Patreon, they're coming out now as well. Yeah, episode one will be out by the time this podcast is out. Yeah, it will be. And we'll have finished filming for patreon episode five next week watch us with onyx pathcon and play mage on the sunday yeah you can totally join us at onyx pathcon and you can check out uh because we're going to be solidly into the third episode of book two of our victorian era game mm-hmm. our victorian age game which yeah. is uh, an unpronounceable french name that's going to be all for this episode, and I hope you'll join me next time as I start to focus on the individual spheres and what you can get away with while using them. You've been listening to Paradox, a Mage the Ascension podcast, and you can find us wherever you can find podcasts. If actual plays are up your alley, check out Dorktales on twitch.tv dorktales, youtube.com dorktales, or find us on the Dorktales Discord server, or our very own website at dorktales.ca. We are currently streaming a Mage the Victorian era game on Saturdays. Our Patreon subscribers have early access to the Technocracy Zero Sum game, which is also starting to roll out on YouTube for the general public, and we have several Mage one-shots and a short-run chronicle called Breaking Tradition on YouTube, plus all of our other amazing content. Thanks for listening, and remember to always keep your magic coincidental, unless it's fireball.